In the past few years, there has been a steady stream of disclosures about the U.S. military's growing concern with incursions into U.S. airspace by flying craft, known as Unidentified Aerial Vehicles, UAV, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP. In the past year, the U.S. military has declassified three videos from distinct incidents in which UAVs exhibited intelligent control, speed, acceleration, and maneuverability that is beyond the known capabilities of the United States, as well as every other terrestrial government. And in the past three years, the New York Times, Washington Post, and other top-rated news sources have begun reporting on multiple shadowy Pentagon programs aimed at investigating UAVs and assessing their possible threat to U.S. pilots or America's national security interests. The unprecedented quality of the documentation surrounding these programs and UAV sightings suggests that we need to take a very serious new look at the UAV phenomena. Of course, the older term UFO is known to everyone, and UFOs have been a subject of American folklore going back to 1947, when civilian aviator Kenneth Arnold reported sighting a fleet of silvery disks flying over Mount Rainier, Washington. Nevertheless, it is only in the past three years that the world public has learned that the U.S. military is spending tens of millions of dollars to assess the significance and possible threat of what military pilots describe as beyond next generation level craft. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that, whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. We are at 2,000 listens. Thank you to everyone. We also want to make a shout-out to our listeners in Great Britain and continental Europe. We're getting a significant proportion of our listening traffic from Europe, and that's exciting. If you are anywhere in the world and want to give us a shout-out, please do. Our website is now up. That's www.spectralskullsession.com. We're also on Twitter at SkullSpectral. Or you can send us an email at spectralskull at protonmail.com. We need true stories about spirits, spooks, demons, and minor, minor deities for our Halloween episode this year. So if you'd like to share one with us, please contact us. Okay, let's get back to UAVs. With the Pentagon's official release of UAV videos in April 2020, the disclosure of a new Pentagon investigation, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, and the release of a new documentary, Phenomenon, by Jamie Foxx on October 6, 2020. That documentary is available on Amazon.com. 
which contains the bombshell claim that scientists have analyzed crashed UAV components and discovered they are made of metamaterials beyond our ability to assemble, there's been a surge of public interest in the UAV phenomena. So this show is focusing on the military UAV phenomena. This is the stuff that we think is the best evidence in support of the veracity of UFOs. And indirectly, the related phenomenon associated with UFOs, the close encounters of the third kind, the alien abduction stories, the men in black encounters. If any sober-minded person wants to explore whether there's any concrete reality to any of these so-called fringe phenomenon, they're going to need to start with the recent evidence that's come to light regarding military encounters with UAVs and the U.S. government's growing interest and serious regard for these phenomena. The place to start is 2004, when the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier and associated strike group was engaged in training exercises off the coast of Baja, California, near San Diego. The aircraft carrier group had been tracking unidentified signals on radar for the past two weeks, before the signal reappeared close to the carrier while fighter pilots were practicing mock dogfights over the water. On a perfectly clear day, two FA-18 Super Hornets were directed to fly to intercept a possible craft that had rapidly dropped from 80,000 feet to sea level and then back up to 20,000 feet. The pilot of one of the intercepting Super Hornets Commander David Fravor later reported that he saw below him white water in a patch pointed like a cross and about the size of a 737. Just above the patch of white water was a, quote, white tic-tac-looking object, about 40 feet long, moving around the disturbed patch of water. He began dropping down from 20,000 to intercept the object while the other F-18 hung back at a higher altitude. As he dropped in a loopy circle, the object began rising in a circle. He was doing a slow descent, and it was doing a slow circular ascent. So he cut across and dropped directly towards the object. And as he dropped, the objects disappeared right in front of his eyes, the other jet remained at 20,000 feet, and the female pilot also made visual confirmation of the object before it vanished. The two fighters with the combined crew of four returned to the base, shaken and uncertain about what they had encountered. A few hours later, another fighter jet captured what was believed to be the same object with their advanced targeting, forward-looking, infrared pod, which is a state-of-the-art tracking and sensor package. The Pentagon has now publicly disclosed and declassified that video that was captured by the Advanced Targeting Forward-Looking Infrared Pod. You can find it on our website at spectralskullsession.com. So anyway, Dane, that was the first incident. And even better footage was captured by pilots associated with the USS Roosevelt in 2014 and 2015. This footage has also been declassified. It's also on our website. And I just want to play for you guys the footage from one of the Roosevelt sightings because you can hear the fighter jet crew and I suspect somebody working the radar on the Roosevelt talking. Oh, go ahead. 
I just love how you can you can hear the excitement in his voice. He's really thrilled because he can get the um, he's finally gotten the targeting radar to track, and so you know that means they've got an engagement where the software is going to pan the camera and follow the thing as it's moving. And so he's thrilled because those things, for some reason, uh, they don't they don't track easily. Like it's hard to get your targeting radar to lock onto them. Chris, what did you think about that? Yeah, as we're watching this video here, Dane, you can see this thing. It's just it's moving at an incredible rate. You can see the tracking software system having a difficult time locking on. And when it finally does, you, it's exactly as I described, this white little tic-tac that's just moving incredibly fast. And wow, I mean, I can only imagine what these guys are thinking. And you can hear that excitement coming through in their voice. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like just some random like light phenomenon or weather phenomenon. This is something very unusual to them. And it's something I think you're going to get into later, Chris, is that these are the kind of people who wouldn't be fooled by something like this anyway. And you have to also think about these. These are highly trained individuals who are flying very expensive pieces of technology. How expensive is a fighter jet, Dane? That's a good question. Ballpark. I don't know. Multiple millions? Yeah, incredibly expensive, right? And so they don't just let anyone fly a plane. These guys have a high degree of credibility. They're also trained to observe and to report. Uh, One of the kind of defining features of fighter pilot is their perceptual ability, their ability to take in information, to process that quickly, and then act, right? And in a combat scenario, that can mean the difference between life and death. And so I, I think when we get this coming from the Pentagon, we have the actual footage, but we also have these guys seeing it who are professionals at the highest level, these trained observers. We have to take this seriously. Absolutely. Chris, do you know how many people were involved in this particular, or have been involved in seeing these things? Well, the consensus from the half dozen or so military pilots who have spoken to the press about these incidents is that the craft were behaving in ways that are beyond what any known aircraft are capable of. Yeah, one pilot, Chad Underwood, said, it was just behaving in ways that aren't physically normal. That's what caught my eye, because aircraft, whether they're manned or unmanned, still have to obey the law of physics. They have some source of lift, some source of propulsion. The tic-tac was not doing that. It was going from like 50,000 feet to, you know, 100 feet in like seconds, which is not possible. And Commander Frevoir told ABC News he didn't know what the Tic Tac was, but that it, quote, was really impressive, really fast, and I would like to fly it. And we were told these reports are just the tip of the iceberg. The U.S. military is having ongoing encounters with these UAVs. And the more information that comes out about the U.S. military's involvement, the weirder it gets. Because this is where the stories about recovered pieces of UAVs start to surface. Yeah, Dane, it gets, it gets pretty weird. In 2017, the New York Times reported that the Pentagon has had a program investigating 
military encounters with UAVs, again, that is unidentified aerial vehicles, and the possible threat they pose to military aircraft. The Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Project, AATIP, is believed to have started as a Defense Intelligence Agency project in 2007 and received $22 million to support their investigations until their funding ran out in 2012. Most of that money was directed to Bigelow Aerospace run by Robert Bigelow. According to a 2017 New York Times article, Bigelow Aerospace produced a 500-page report on UAV sightings during the program's five years of funding. They also established a facility in Las Vegas that could house and study metal alloys and other materials recovered from the UAVs. Louise Elizondo, who is identified by the New York Times as the former director of AATIP, maintains that objects of undetermined origin have crashed on Earth. He says that materials from these crashes have been retrieved for study, and he, his claims have been corroborated by Eric W. Davis, an astrophysicist and engineer who has worked for the Pentagon. Dr. Davis, who currently works for Aerospace Corporation, a military contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to Defense Department agency as recently as March about retrievals from, quote, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Mr. Davis said he also gave classified briefings on retrievals of unexplained objects to staff members of the Senate Armed Services Committee on October 21st, 2019, and his staff members of the Senate Intelligence Committee two days later. And former Senator Harry Reid, who had classified intelligence access for years, has also said, quote, after looking into this, I came to the conclusion that there were reports. Some were substantive. Some were not so substantive. And that there were actual materials that the government and the private sector had in their possession. Another exciting development. On August 4th, 2020, Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist approved the establishment of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, that's UAPTF, and the Pentagon released a statement on, a statement on August 14th that said, the mission of the task force is to detect, analyze, and catalog UAPs, that's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. As Department of Defense has previously stated, the safety of our personnel and the security of our operations are of paramount concern. The Department of Defense and the military departments take any incursion by unauthorized aircraft into our training ranges or designated airspace very seriously and examine each report. And this Pentagon statement is going to be available on our website also, spectralskullsession.com. Because they've been ordered to make a public report within 180 days, that means we could be hearing from this uh, Pentagon investigatory committee 
sometime in 2020. It sounds like we're going to hear from them after the November election, but before the new year. Um, so in the meantime, I think, Chris, we've laid out enough of the facts, right, to start to hazard some speculation. So let's ask, um, what are the possibilities here? What could be going on? I mean, could these just be a kind of hysterics by the military? Okay, so that's one possibility. So, like, maybe, like, they're, they're in the group of some kind of mass hysteria, and that, like, that mass hysteria can even happen to people on an aircraft carrier. Um, related to that is that uh, it is possible there are flukes in their sensor systems and their radar systems. Just tonight, I found an article from, I think it's the War Room, and they were saying that when this Nimitz encounter happened in 2004, the USS Nimitz carrier group had just gotten an upgrade in their radar tracking systems. They'd gotten a fancy new radar system that allows them to uh, target objects without using the targeting radar on board the fighter jet, so they can potentially target uh, an enemy craft using the targeting radar on board the uh, carrier itself or on an AWAC. That's one of these large planes that fly in the air and they can they give very good radar coverage. So the idea is it's this integrated radar system, but it's a novel system. And that made me think, well, it's possible that since it's a novel system, maybe it's like vulnerable. Maybe Maybe it's fluking up. It's making, you know, it's got a bug in it. It's also possible that Chinese or Russians hacked our our um, military systems, right? So if you have this integrated system that's going to combine radar from multiple different sources and then put it together to make one single integrated piece, it's going to have some software doing that integration. And potentially that software would be vulnerable to hacking, right? And so you could put some kind of malware into it that generates fake radar traces. So, you know, I guess it's possible that they could have been chasing a fake radar trace, right? And then it could just all be a sensor artifact and at worst, Chinese or Russian malware that was put into their software systems. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, I think, I mean, that sounds highly plausible, um, but we have this visual confirmation from these high-level experts. So I just, I don't see how we can explain that away. Yeah, so like Commander Fravoir does say, like he saw it with his eyes and he describes it. Chris, you described it really well in detail, right? That um, he saw a patch of uh, water that was disturbed and above it was the little 40-foot tic-tac bouncing around. He saw it, another pilot saw it, and then it zipped off. Um, initially, I had some thought, like as I heard these super hornets are very high tech, and I also heard they didn't have a lot of cockpit space in them. And I've heard that uh, for some of the new fighter jets, that it could we could reach a point where pilots are actually always looking through like a camera. But the thing is about, so I thought, well, maybe it's possible that the commander, Favoir, who saw the, the, the Tic Tac, maybe he was actually viewing it through a camera, in which case maybe even then it could have been malware, right? Maybe the Chinese developed a kind of hyper-sophisticated malware that can not only project a tic-tac image onto your camera, but also correlates with a radar trace that isn't there. That would be an incredible feat, right? But it might not be as extraordinary of a feat as us being visited by 
by aliens or something. Um, but the thing is, I was just looking into it recently. Um, it sounds like, though, he really did see it with his eyes because they didn't catch it with a camera. Like you pointed out yourself, Chris, they didn't point it. They didn't catch it with a camera until later. So he, that means he didn't see it with a camera at all. And I'm sure if he had any kind of camera in his cockpit that he was using to navigate, they would have had a record of that. So I think he really did see it with his eyeballs, in which case it's really hard to imagine um, that he just like hallucinated something because he had a false radar trace. I suppose that's a possibility, but he wasn't the only one to have observed this phenomenon with his naked eyes, right? But I, I suppose, yeah, if we say this, something's coming up on the radar, uh, maybe that creates some level of excitement. Maybe that could cause this kind of perceptual illusion, but I, I just don't know if I'm buying it. Um, but you, you raise an interesting possibility here of advanced breakthroughs by foreign adversaries. Could it also be that the Russians or Chinese have made some kind of incredible advance in, in drone technology that we just don't have here in the United States? Yeah, so that's another possibility, Chris. And we can't rule that out, that maybe the Russians or Chinese are just starting to get ahead of us. And the thing is, I read you that quote from the pilots who were saying that this isn't just something that we don't have, a technology that we can't do but it seems to them to be a technology that's beyond next generation. So it seems like if the Chinese had something that we don't have, um, they might be 20 years ahead of us. But the pilots are saying, this is like the kind of thing that's 100 years ahead. Like we're talking about instantaneous, almost teleportation from one altitude to another. We're talking about relocation over hundreds of miles. It's apparently instantaneous that happened in one radar trace. Actually, that was at the Nimitz encounter, but we didn't go into that. Um, so I'm going to say yes. It, I mean, it's possible, right, that the Chinese or the Russians are that far ahead of us. But um, even that doesn't mean that they did it by themselves, right? So if the Chinese or Russians actually had something that was 100 years ahead of us, um, isn't it possible that the way they got it is because they back engineered it from, from aliens? Like maybe they have crashed UAVs that they're studying themselves and they've gotten ahead of us because they've been able to back engineer these things. Uh, I think you raise an interesting point there about back engineering. And, you know, I've, I've heard this kind of theory floated before. And Dane, just as a point of reference here, when, when would you say that in, uh, the U.S. and worldwide in the modern era that UFO sightings really kicked up. Okay, so they start to kick up in the late 40s. So there's an initial kick up with, um, in World War II, people started to report balls of light off the wings of their airplanes. So that's World War II bombers. They called them Foo Fighters. And then um, it's not until after the war, there's an interwar period in the late 40s, that's when Kenneth Arnold sees the, uh, the flying disks. But then the UFO scare of 1952, that was where Washington, D.C. went crazy because um, tons of people, thousands of people were seeing UFOs in the sky over Washington, D.C., and they were getting radar traces, too. And that was when President Harry Truman actually asked the Air Force to um, investigate 
And he said, like, I need to know what's going on. You need to explore this, what's going on in the skies. And that was the kickoff of what's called uh, Project Blue Book, which was the first famous Air Force investigation. So this stuff goes back, yeah, to 1952. Well, so back to the point about reverse engineering, and, and thank you for that. The reason I ask this is I, I've heard this theory kicked around that uh, much of our modern technology, the computer age, the cell phone, uh, this just revolutionary leap in technology, if we think about how people were living in, in the 1950s and prior to that and how technology has changed so rapidly, uh, what we have now, if we, if we could so hypothetically travel back in time, it would probably be considered witchcraft, right? It's just so much more advanced than what we had had. And so this theory that I, I've heard floated around is that uh, much of our modern technological leaps could be attributed to back engineering. And so this idea, at least along that vein, if we're gonna take, take that seriously and suspend disbelief that perhaps the Chinese or the Russians or some other military power got a hold of these things before we did, or maybe uh, at the same time or after, but certainly understood the technology before us and is now utilizing, uh, I think that would work well within the context of that uh, idea more largely. So you're saying if, it's, if, if we made an incredible leap forward with electronics, why couldn't Chinese or Russians have made an incredible leap forward with um, flying technology? Yeah, it might just be I mean, the the nature of this technology that we're attempting to back engineer that some people get there first, right? Yeah. And it takes time to kind of figure it out. Uh, but, you know, I, again, if we're entertaining that possibility, uh, what about the possibility that this entire thing is a U.S. intelligence disinformation campaign and particularly as some of these disclosures are going to align potentially with our election. Yeah, Chris, that's a really dark possibility. And that's something that's starting to seem more salient to me. So as I looked into these stories, I found some things that uh, we didn't cover in our initial briefing. So first, you mentioned Luis Elizondo. He's the character who um, the New York Times says used to be the director of ATIP. And... Uh, He's the person who has been insisting that the U.S. government is squirreling away UAV materials, like crashed, apparently he says crashed pieces of these ships. A Pentagon spokesperson denied that Luis Elizondo ever worked on the ATIP program. They said that he worked under the office, they said, excuse me, edit point. The Pentagon said that Elizondo worked for the office of the Undersecretary of Defense, and that this is a totally different area of the Pentagon. His Pentagon employment um, and his involvement with ATIP was confirmed once by a Pentagon spokesperson, Dana White. But there's a weird story about her. She was forced to resign during an internal probe on misconduct shortly thereafter. So there's some questions in my mind about whether Dana White was competent because she didn't last very long. She was in the position very shortly. Um, and then there's another person who's been talking about retrieved crash materials. Another person you mentioned, Chris, is Eric W. Davis. He says he's done briefings on them for the Pentagon. Um, this guy is clearly part of the U.S. military industrial complex, as he's been a military contractor who does theoretical research for the Pentagon for years, He's also worked for Bigelow Aerospace, according to his LinkedIn profile. I looked him up. 
right? Big Low, as you pointed out, is the um, aerospace company that uh, got most of the funding to do to build the facilities to house the materials. But Robert Bigelow is also close friends with Harry Reid, who's been the biggest senator involved in this investigation. Eric Davis has done some really wild work. I looked up, looking him up, I found that he's at one point received a grant for $24,000 from the Air Force to do research on psychic teleportation. So I thought that was a little bit questionable. And I guess this raised in my mind the possibility that Elizondo and Eric W. Davis may have been contractors working for the Pentagon, and they may have been exposed to some kind of briefing that they were told was a classified briefing about crashed materials, but is in fact a false flag operation that the Pentagon does so that people who can't keep their mouth shuts make a fool of themselves. Or maybe they even anticipate that like some percentage of the people that we show these these uh these these um this information to are gonna betray us and are gonna leak the information but that's okay because it's fake and we want it to come out and we want to confuse people so i guess one of my concerns is just that that davis eric w davis and luis alessandro just may not be who they say they are and i think that ever since uh edwards edward snowden in 2013 um you know, set the intelligence community back with the things he did that I suspect that these guys kind of see this stuff coming. And so they're ready for it. So I think I wonder if maybe the Pentagon has been laying traps for people. What do you think about this, Chris? Um, so you said earlier that Eric Davis had been paid to do this wild research on psychic teleportation for the Pentagon, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they're clearly spending money on this research. Uh, I'm of two minds here, you know, because it could be they're spending money on this type of research because they believe there is something real there that bears looking into and putting money into. Uh, on the other hand, perhaps, you know, $24,000 grants, not a lot of money to kind of fund this false flag operation that you've now described for me. So uh, I'm not sure which way to go on this thing. Yeah, Chris, I think it's a dark rabbit hole because another possibility is that they sometimes throw money at people to do weird things so that later nobody will believe that guy when he comes forward about something that's real, right? Like, oh, we're going to like, oh, we'll give you $24,000 to write a paper that's going to take you a weekend to do on psychic teleportation. And then he, you're like, oh, yeah, $24,000. I'd love like, that's great. That would be a great deal, right? And then later, like you can, they can bring that up anytime they want and be like, Oh, he's talking about UAVs, but uh, have you noticed that this guy 10 years ago did work on psychic teleportation? Like, ha ha ha, he's incredible. He's ridiculous, right? He's not a legit source. The levels of deception that are possible here are like infinite. You're right. It is a dark rabbit hole indeed. And we could keep going and parsing all the different possibilities here the way that this these layers of deception could be kind of sliced in the, in terms of the possibilities. It could be that UFOs are real. Uh, this is being done, this teleportation research to discredit him talking about the UFOs, the UAVs as we're now calling them. Uh, it could be that both are real or maybe neither. Right. And, and you know, many other possibilities here. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, it's also worth noting that, so they apparently initially lost their funding for ATIP 
back in 2017. And I found an interview. It's a YouTube interview called The Basement Files, where Eric Davis goes on the record. And he says they lost their ATIP funding back in 2017 because they made, sorry, they didn't report what they were doing in detail to the Pentagon higher ups. He says it was a strategic decision. They chose to be vague about what they reported because, as he says, this is his words, a lot of military personnel who belong to evangelical circles, or he says other cults, that's his words, not mine, um, they believe that UFOs are satanic and they don't want to get involved. So he said that this was a source of resistance and for them uh, a reason why they underreported the details of what they were doing because they anticipated that um, religious Pentagon officials would see what they were doing as an investigation of the satanic. Whoa. So the Pentagon is worried about satanic spacecrafts? But um, I think that um, I would think that if, if you believe that these UAVs are possibly from the devil, that would actually be a stronger reason to investigate them. Because I would think that satanic UAVs are more clearly a threat to national security than just UAVs from another planet. And what do you so, think about that, Chris? So you're saying that for those, and those uh, of our listeners who are not familiar, there is a belief that persists in certain evangelical certain circles currently that alien visitations and abductions, that those are just a new form or manifestation of an old phenomenon, right? And that is demonic intrusion, right? So essentially the belief is, and I'm not, not discounting the belief because, as we say, anything is possible on the spectral skull session. Uh, the belief is that people are encountering these aliens, but that's really a deception or a facade that it's actually demons. And now to your point, Dane, if there were, they were worried about these kind of evangelical circles and these people and these things being satanic, you're right. I, I think there would be an argument to be made to such circles that uh, if they believe this and that these things are evil, we need to understand these so that we can kind of fight them. And uh, particularly if there's actual real world consequences for industrial military complex, right? Absolutely. I mean, haven't these guys seen that movie Hellboy? Right. Like the the occult and the demonic figures right into our national security interests. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. But I mean, he's saying like this is a reason he's like, oh, they don't want to investigate because they think that the UFOs are satanic. I just don't think that's a really good cover. I don't think that's a good reason. I think that if you're a military official and you really believe in UFOs and you really believe that they're probably from the devil, like that wouldn't be a reason not to investigate. So that's. It kind of cuts against, I think, um, Eric W. Davis's credibility that he would have said such a thing. Like, oh, we didn't do the level of reporting on our work that we were supposed to do in order to keep our funding precisely because we were afraid that evangelicals would think that we were researching Satanism. Like, I, I don't buy that. That's my thing with Eric W. Davis. So he's an interesting character and you could check him out. You know, you can check out some of his interviews on YouTube if you want to. 
All right. Well, I think that's some pretty interesting stuff. And, you know, as we kind of uh, come close to the end of our session here today, this talk of this intersectionality between the belief in UFOs and demons, um, you know, we're going to get into some interesting stuff more so, I believe, in later episodes. But there is the belief that UFOs, UA, UAVs, and alien encounters are an entirely spiritual phenomenon. They belong to the spiritual dimension. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that briefly, Dane. I know we've been talking about this idea of people having UFO seances. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I would be extremely hesitant to summon a UFO, Chris. Um, so um, you might claim that Terrence McKenna did something like this in one of our earlier episodes, right? We talked about the uh, experiment at La Correra, and it seems like that at one point they had a UFO sighting that was involved involved in that. But, um, you know, I think the larger picture here is we don't know whether these things are benevolent or malevolent. And um, uh, there's a book I would recommend to anybody who's thinking about this stuff. Daniel Pinchbeck. Just wrote a book called The Occult Control System. Daniel Pinchbeck is sort of a psychonaut and a New York uh, literati intelligentsia type guy. And he's been on kind of a wild ride since he had some experiments with psychedelics himself. And so he wrote this recent book and it's like, it's just kind of a compilation of all the people who think that UFOs are not aliens, but something from another dimension or something spiritual. And the consensus is that there's a real dark side to it that is a malevolence and possibly it's it's something that's out to cause us trouble and make the world a worse place. And so, you know, I don't know what to say about that. That could be Pinchbeck projecting his own anxieties onto this, you know, nebulous UFO phenomenon. But um, I would be really careful about, about getting involved with UFOs. So keep an open mind, but also... Try to stay sane, as we say on the Spectral Skull session, right? Um, yeah, and I, I think that as we close out tonight, in our discussion, it is possible we have, we kind of run through the possibilities. Perhaps this is a false flag. Maybe what's being reported by the Pentagon and other military or quasi-military officials isn't actually the truth. But I really think that at some point we have to take what they're saying at face value. Right. And it seems likely and that there is definitely, if we take the government at face value, something going on. There are something in our skies and that bears further looking into. Absolutely, Chris. I think that's the most central point that we wanted to make in today's show is that the evidence that there's something going on that we don't have a clear handle on is overwhelming. You know, as exhibited by all the, the pilots who are seeing things, the fact that their radar and sensor systems corroborate the reports, the fact that the Pentagon is now spending tens of millions of dollars investigating it. Like, these are all really strong reasons for thinking that whatever's going on, right? And we've just explored the possibilities here when we, we get into some of the possible explanations, right? But whatever explanation it is, um, it seems to be something real and something that's beyond what we have a handle on right now. Absolutely. I think that's a good final thought for this evening. And with that, we thank all of our listeners for joining us and bid you adieu. Good night, everybody. And remember to stay strange and stay sane.